0: Welcome back to the Rural Roundup, hosted by me, Kerry Hammond. This show is produced in association with the Scottish Government. On today's episode, George and Robert discuss the aftermath of Storm Babbitt and highlight opportunities to make use of the Preparing for Sustainable Farming or PSF grant. We're also joined today by Dr. Annie Williams to give us some fantastic insight on mineral supplementation for sheep and cows.
1: Hi, Robert. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks George. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. Um we're having a wee bit of a respite from the heavy rains. Um how's it been down with you in terms of the the weather? It's
2: very strange. So we've in the west we're pretty much well, we're famous for being wet and you guys have had a paste and, and actually what we had was a really good drying wind, which you know it's been I mean it's still it's still end of October beginning of November things are getting sticky but on the whole we've we came through that that storm really in really good shape and I say it's pretty unusual that we get we miss it all together so um i I see what's happened in the northeast and you know i feel for everybody involved but certainly we've we've had a pretty good storm it's early on in the winter and i'm sure there'll be other storms will be available down the line
1: yeah yeah Well, well well i'm north of aberdeen and uh yeah it's it's been pretty wet and there's been the old river versus banks and such like but it's absolutely nothing compared to what they've had south of Aberdeen um and Kincardinshire and, and Angus it's been pretty horrific you know particularly around about the Brecon area and um yeah there's a, a lot of crops been lost and, and damage been done and, and um yeah you feel for them
2: yeah I feel like you couldn't you couldn't know and it, although you're seeing as a lot of crops lost I just think if imagine what it'd been like if it have been a month earlier Oh yeah, you know, if yeah. we had that in September, October time, or, or the end of September, beginning of October, it, it could have been way worse. But that's no that that's no help to the guys that have got tatty crops in the ground tarty or crops, yeah. lost a lot of straw or whatever. It's, it's and, really and
1: even crops have been established the, and yeah. they'll get a bite of cherry in the springtime to to establish something. So it's uh, yeah, it's it's uh, yeah.
2: That, I think that's the thing that we we've got to you know those that are most affected by this is that we we all get a a turn at it you know there's extreme weather events generally tour the country a bit and there is always life after this and there is always business after this that when we come to the spring we'll have new challenges new things to deal with but we'll reset and we'll go again
1: yeah 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 I mean we'd, we'd storm arwen a couple of years ago and uh decimated a lot of trees and woodlands and that up here and, and we've had subsequent storms after that and uh, everybody gets their turn it's as yeah, simple as that.
2: Was the woodland story the same? Was there much woodland lost this time, or was it more the rain was the issue?
1: I think it was a, the level of water, just a sheer deluge of rain. Really, um, yeah. it was uh, quite scary.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: But it, but it's also an example where the the farming community pulls together, and um, it's interesting that rasabi have uh, they've brought out uh, uh, a flooding fund uh, for farmers to get help and uh, it, it's just an example that everybody everybody pulls together when the yeah. you know when the chips are down
2: there's see in, in that there's a, a forage scheme as well there's a you know bales for people that have lost forage and i know oh, i'm saying it was all all fine in the west prior to that storm the argyll oban area got an absolute bleach in the week before and there was a lot of forage lost. A lot of there would be stock loss, Major issues, roads closed, big challenges, and and that's that's the thing that RACBI we need to keep in mind that it's there and it's there whether we we need it or whether we can contribute it to contribute to it as well. Like likes so that forage story. We've got a lot of people with a lot of surplus forage, and actually help helping others is probably the most important thing we can do.
1: Yeah, and, and in some of these areas they're they are net importers of forage anyway, so it just completely exacerbates the situation. This the the storms and the damage.
2: Yeah. So George, on your travels, is there a lot of noticeable damage? That long term damage to bankings and levies and things is that is that a big issue coming forward?
1: Um. Further north, perhaps less so. There is the odd odd bit. there's been, you know, obviously there's erosion tracks through fields and um that is some some damage. It's not major here, but as I said, when you go south of Aberdeen, it's a different kettle of fish. Um quite significant damage in some areas. Um and I think people have to think, you know, obviously there's repairs to be made to the to the river banks and such like. Um and also even up here, we're starting to see people become much more aware that you know even after lifting tatties, on a slope, cultivating across the field, or even even sticking in cover crops just to hold on, get that root in, to get to hold on to the soil basically in case there's a rainfall event. Um, so there is measures that people can can put in place to try and help. Um, but obviously there's damage damage that has to be repaired, infrastructure damage to be repaired. Yeah, and
2: and that kind of more. Engineering st- type story that watercourse engineering for a long time the kind of and it wasn't the actual rules but the farmer message the, what what farmers thought they could do was nothing you know we couldn't touch the watercourse and that's actually not the case there's, there's a lot we can do some under general binding rules some under a uh, various licenses through SEPA there's a lot we can actually do and we've got to keep in mind our role as farmers in this as you know ultimately f- flood mitigation slowing water down holding on to more water it's probably if you if you speak to the people in a breaking you know that kind of area the only thing they were worried about at that point was water and where the water was and actually the, the more water we can hold on to as farmers and the weight the more we can slow it down that's a tremendous public good. So there's a there's an awful lot we need to do and I think certainly in my time here I've done quite a lot with Farming and Water Scotland which is worth worth googling. There'll be a link in the show notes to the Farming and Water Scotland website which gives you some an indication, a starter for 10 on a lot of what you're allowed to do.
1: If you speak to people in Brecon, what they would like to see and if there was ways that um, local landowners could contribute to something just to take a bit of the pressure off in these kind of events, I think they'd be all for it. But that's that's a wider conversation that needs to be had. So, Robert, um, we're getting involved again with a lot of uh, preparing for sustainable farming um, stuff again, uh, whether that's carbon audits, soil analysis. We're one year in really with this scheme, or maybe more than one year in. Um, What's your thoughts? Yeah, so
2: it's a pilot scheme. It's a bit of what the future might look like. And I think it's actually landed pretty well. It's doing something that the PSF options at the moment are the soils options and then the animal health and welfare options. Both of them fit well with the vast majority of my active clients and both of them encourage those guys to get better at what they do or or help them to get better at what they do. So um, yeah, I, th- I think it's good. I don't know if we are doing as much PSF work as we would maybe like to you know I think there's more there's more good we could do out there for a lot of people and and really I suppose this wee section is just about raising a bit of awareness about it you know there's there is scope there to get a lot of soil sampling done and there's scope to get various um measures various options looked at in your um cat, cattle and sheep uh, system so there's definitely options here to make this PSF to start with. We were quite, we were very structured with what it what it is. But there's actually, the more we look at it, those that benefited from PSF soils last year and got a a chunk of their farm done last year, perhaps they've already got samples for the other. They, you know they're up to date with their soil sampling. Actually, those guys we can take a deeper dive into mineral analysis and you know look at my, more of the micronutrient story and find out more about that farm and that's probably where the the soils and the animal health bit kind of meet as well you know if we can find out wh- what your soil status is like we, we actually start to better understand we don't know everything but we start to better understand what's happening in the animal as well
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that works for both arable and livestock um you dig down and you find out trace elements because Trace Elements as a rule going on to an arable crop, it's not expensive. Um, I know roundabout um turf and such like copper can be an issue. And um you know, it, it pretty much goes on. Um it's you know, you need it basically. But but actually measuring and, and finding out just if you've got a problem or not, it, it's worth doing. It's worth doing, definitely.
2: Yeah. And and if you are going to take that deeper dive, just keep in mind you do need a ph a pk and yeah. a carbon content of the soil as well so just make sure that what you're doing is eligible but it'd be good to speak to you know a, a, FBAS, a fbas accredited advisor just to make sure that what you're what you're sampling what you're asking what questions you're asking is actually eligible for the grant but certainly a i think there's tremendous scope and and it really it's it's non-competitive. Um, we have other schemes in the go which are competitive, um, but it's non-competitive. Effectively, it's your money. So if you've not done it already, I would have a crack at it and um, get get what you can. Get the information out that that you need to kick your business forward.
1: And and what I'm seeing now as well is that people who I would never ever have thought were a good near GPS sampling. Certainly, if they're a reasonable area they're going down that route they're they're taking advantage of it purely because it you know there's there's a fund in there of course but it's letting them move on basically and certainly with with the gps and the line it's it can be a bit of a no-brainer really certainly if there's been fields amalgamated and such like in the past it 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 works really well
2: yeah yep we um i'm not saying we discouraged people from doing it but and uh certainly our arable guys most of the big arable guys are have gone down the gps route the the grass guys maybe five years ago often asked whether they should gps soil sample and at that stage our kind of message was if, if everything was you know if, if everything was on target so if we had got php and k up to where it should be on average let's then take a deep a deeper dive into gpsing and, and there was wasn't that many people in that that place but now the message has landed really well there's a lot of intensive guys dairy guys beef guys who are basically arable farming grass and you know they're approaching it like an arable crop Mm -hmm. and gps sampling is fitting and if you're on the boundary of that if you're on the if you've invested money in soil and you're looking at taking a step forward there's no better time for having a crack at gps do a bit see if you mm-hmm. like it see if it benefits yeah. you yeah. see if your contractor can deal with the information that you that you're giving them and actually it's probably a thing that we'll see more and more on grassland farms as a uh, gps and, and more precision uh, applications obviously as things are dearer margins are tighter applying these things appropriately as climate change benefits and economic benefits too yeah
1: yeah yeah and and i think it, it's definitely but I always say well because it's one thing just going down a GPS route for the sake of doing it. But you've 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 got to use that information. Um it's good information and 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 use it. And the funding, the grant you're getting, it is a good opportunity really to to do something. Going back to your animal health and welfare interventions, um we're starting to see a bigger uptake in them now. Um I think the local vets have started to to realise what it's about and um, yeah there's opportunities there again
2: definitely and and it, I think I feel like I say this every day almost all the time but the, the thing to do is speak to your vet you don't really need to understand that the in the full depths of the scheme speak to your vet when you're doing a health plan or when you're having that health planning conversation what things on that list would benefit your business do two of them You'll get seven hundred and fifty pounds. Yeah. It's a it's a real opportunity to push your performance forward.
1: Yeah, and and, and you ultimately you're using it for doing some testing, but it if it, even if it's the initial chance to sit round the table with your vet, and have that conversation, rather than try and pick information when he's got his hand up a cow or something like that. It's it's that opportunity around the table bouncing ideas off him really and and having given you some giving you some really good feedback and and both of you can drive your both of them can drive the business stick forward really
2: yeah and and i don't know a single large animal vet that doesn't want to have that conversation they want mm-hmm. to have that conversation rather than come out and do four or five Caesars in the spring because something's not gone quite right or yeah. because you know your fertility's been poor or it's in everyone's interest not least the vet to have that positive conversation and and Make you and them better.
1: Yeah. 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 They're not they're not I suppose they don't really want to be the emergency service mm-hmm. <laughs> all the time. They would mm-hmm. rather be involved strategically and, and yeah, driving your business forward. And there's plenty of information on preparing for sustainable farming, um, grant funding. Um, there's information on the FAS website and of course the Scottish Government website. Um, speak to your advisor or or even have that conversation with your vet and uh, that's probably the best way to take it forward.
0: Dr Annie Williams provides independent mineral advice for ruminants. Annie's joining me today to discuss some of the highlights from her recent set of webinars for the Farm Advisory Service. In these webinars, Annie dug deep into mineral advice for sheep and cows. I'd highly recommend you take a quick look in the show notes of this episode to find the links to the webinars and give them a watch. But for now, tell us a bit about
3: yourself, Annie. My name is Dr. Annie Williams. Um, I kind of wear two hats. So I work in business development for the Centre for Innovation Excellence in Livestock, but probably more important for this, I also work as an independent mineral advisor for farmers, vets, nutritionists, consultants, anybody that wants some advice regarding uh, minerals and ruminants. Where are you from originally? Where did you grow up? So I grew up in rural Lincolnshire, so North Lincolnshire, and then all through my 20s kind of moved around going to different universities before deciding that that Shropshire was home. So although I grew up in rural Lincolnshire, my background is actually in horses, I had horses growing up, had a lot of friends that had farms and started milking as a teenager, but no, don't have parents that are from any sort of agricultural farming background, just something that, that I got into uh, probably really when I was a teenager.
0: So you mentioned you studied at Harper Adams. What did you
3: study? So at Harper is where I did my PhD. So my PhD is in mineral bioavailability in sheep and cattle. So looking at whether we could change the bioavailability of mineral sources, how we do that, what effect that has on the performance of the cattle. Before that, I did a master's in animal nutrition at the University of Nottingham. And before that, I did a degree in Veterinary science at the University of Liverpool.
0: And how long have you been at
3: CL? I have been at CL just over 18 months now, so started February 2022. So CL is one of the agri-tech centres, so we're one of four, and we're the livestock specialists, and we promote innovation across the sector. So I always think of it as trying to join up sort of the triangle between industry, academia, and government. I guess over the last couple of years, our major focus has been around net zero, what innovation is required across the sector in net zero, what projects can we do, thought leadership, how we can support industry to support their farmers in that drive towards net zero. But we cover a whole breadth of projects and innovation areas across livestock, anything from production to health, to nutrition, um, all in scope for what's the else deliver across the industry.
0: What does a, a day in the life look like for you? Do you travel? Do you go out? Are you collecting samples? What does that look like?
3: So in terms of mineral advice, I guess what I'm doing a lot of at the moment is working for other consultants or working for vets and really sort of day to day. It's a lot of problem solving. Is what I'm doing. So I tend to only go out on farms where, which are really high performing and we're trying to get that performance even better or where a problem's already been identified that we think could be mineral related. And I go out with consultants and vets and try and resolve some of those problems, look at the mineral that's happening on that farm in terms of supplementation and try and put all the jigsaw together to identify whether we could be doing something better, something more efficiently, something more profitably to um, meet the mineral requirements of the animals on that farm. So I work all over the UK, including um, obviously Scotland, but also over in Northern Ireland, working for different people. Some farms that I go out and I go and see them, others I'm literally looking at data on my computer, lots of forage analysis and trying to put diets together to meet those animals' mineral requirements. So I recently held uh, two different webinars for the Farm Advisory Service, one on sheep, one on cattle, but both on on the same topic, and that was around mineral supplementation. So looking um, at the supplementation that's given to sheep, beef, and dairy in two different webinars to see whether what the advice is that we're giving, what, what I'm seeing out on farm. So where are those real problem areas that we're identifying on farm time and time again? And what advice do we give around supplementation? So I really focused the webinars on how do you know whether you should supplement as the first question. If you think you should, how do you start to identify which minerals you should supplement with? And then thirdly, what does effective supplementation look like? So how do you start to monitor that the supplementation that you're giving in minerals is correct, is doing a good job, is improving the performance of your animals, is meeting requirement? And really importantly, and I think with big differences across sheep and cattle... How do you identify the right supplement for your system? So on, say, again, a high-performing dairy herd, probably the most appropriate supplement is a bagged mineral. We can control how much supplement is going into their diets. Now, you think of some of the farms, uh, sheep farms in Scotland, with sheep on the side of a hill. That is not an appropriate form of supplementation. It's just not going to work. So how do we identify how we do those Quite often the answer in that situation will be to bolus them, but in a targeted way so that we're meeting their requirement at specific points of their production cycle. So the first one was, how do you know if you need to supplement? And there's a couple of ways that we can identify that. The probably the most simple, but not always the most commonly done is to analyze the feed you're putting in front of them. So we know that an animal has a requirement for mineral. If the predominant part of our diet is forage and we get that forage analyzed, um, get it. most people probably getting it done for energy and protein, but maybe not getting it done for mineral. So if we start to analyze for minerals in our forages, we can then basically identify, is there a gap? Does the uh, mineral supplied by the forage meet the requirements of the animal? If the answer to that is no, then we need to fill that gap. There's slight um, differences and nuances to that because we can also start to talk about antagonists. And if they're present in the forage, then we might also be causing a gap. Um, I talk about that quite a lot in detail in the sheep webinar, particularly around copper. And that answer would be exactly the same for cattle. We're looking for exactly the same thing. How do you know if you need to supplement? Is your diet meeting animal requirement? If it isn't, then we need to. There are a few other things that might indicate. So sometimes things like poor performance, where we think animals should be performing at a certain rate and they're not. Can we start to identify what's causing that? And one of those things might be minerals or poor immunity. Um, a lack of resistance to disease, that sort of thing might give us an indication. But if we're going to measure it, the best thing is, is there enough mineral in the diet to meet the amount that the animal requires? So the second point is, which minerals do we need to supplement? And that is probably, again, we probably see slight nuances there between cattle and sheep in terms of what's more common. So in that area in sheep, we're probably really quite focused around the trace elements. So primarily cobalt, selenium, iodine, maybe copper, depending on your breed of sheep and where you are and their effect on limiting performance. Whereas when we speak about cattle, we're probably starting to bring in some other trace elements, zinc, manganese, but also a bit more focus on the macro minerals. So, macro minerals are minerals that are needed in grams per kilo dry matter, whereas trace are those that are required in milligrams per kilo dry matter. And we tend to be a bit more focused around those macro minerals in cattle, again, particularly those dairy cows, where by nature, when they're producing a lot of milk, there's obviously a high amount of calcium in milk, their demand around that macro mineral area is much higher than sheep. So again, it's working out fit for your cows or your sheep on your system, which minerals do you need to supplement, which ones are limiting performance, and how do you go about starting to do that? So the third point, I guess, is sort of twofold. The third point is around um, finding the best supplement to suit your system and also then making sure that it's effective. So finding the best supplement to suit your system depends on the answer to those first two questions. So do we need to supplement and which minerals do we need to supplement with? Once we've got our answer to that, we need to think about the system that we're running on farm. So like I said at the start, probably if you're an indoor dairy herd, your most effective supplementation is probably going to be bagged mineral or maybe perhaps via compound feed. Where we can really control how much mineral those cattle are getting. If you're running a much more extensive system, although supplementing via bagged mineral or compound is probably more accurate, it's completely impractical. In that scenario, you're just not going to be able to do it. So we need to go to what is the mineral supplementation that's going to be most effective in that. And that's either going to be perhaps you can buffer feed with a compound feed. But maybe you can't and you need to go to something like a bolus for that sustained supply of those animals out grazing. And exactly the same in sheep. Uh, We need to think about are we going to bring those animals in around lambing? Are we expecting them to lamb outside? What are our winter plans? How often are we seeing these sheep? What is our most effective supplementation um, strategy to get those animals to perform? And then think about how are we going to determine that? So there's lots of things around effective supplementation. What we're actually trying to do is we're trying to optimize the mineral status of these animals. So we're trying to make sure that the minerals in their blood or their liver, depending on what mineral we're talking about, perhaps in their thyroid, if we're talking about iodine, is at an optimum level. So it's not too low, but it's not too high. We don't want to supplement them to the point where it's too high either, because that's going to have a negative impact. So how do we start to measure that that is what's happening and we are optimising their mineral status? There's different diagnostics that we can do. So I talked in the webinar about some of the bloods, liver samples that vets can do to diagnose mineral deficiencies or mineral toxicities. But we can also start to track animal performance and see whether they're responding to supplementation in the way that we expect them to or again do we sort of go back to step 1 and say are these animals performing how we expect them to perform if not then what is the limiting factor
0: how often is this something that you would advise people look at you mentioned you know key times of year so lambing for sheep etc is this something that you know people should put a big focus on around big productive parts or is this something that should be an ongoing consideration all year round
3: yeah that's a question people always want that question and it, it that it's tricky so in terms of when to measure it depends on what we're trying to achieve so if for example I'm on a sheep farm and they're consistently not having the number of lambs that they want particularly say, let's say they're scanning, I would be targeting on that sheep farm that pre-topping period. So are we getting the nutrition of those animals right going to topping so that we can get those scanning percentages where we want them? If I'm working on farms and actually perhaps that's already being achieved, then I'd be looking at mineral status throughout the year and saying what is the point at which we expect mineral status to be lowest and therefore is that the most appropriate time to measure so where's the where's the pressure in your system that it would be a good time to measure on your farm so is it that you're not getting as much performance out of sheep as you would like it, perhaps the problem is lambs when you go to le- lamb when you go to wean those lambs perhaps they're not performing as you want them to Is it worth then taking a forage analysis and saying, is there enough mineral in this forage or should we perhaps be supplementing lambs and go through it in that process? Exactly the same with cattle. So targeting particular points in production, if you're spring calving, autumn calving, really paying really close attention to uh, mineral supplementation in the periods before those two events or whether we're getting that right. But we also need to think of the pressure on cattle throughout the lactation period. And perhaps that's a really important period where we should be monitoring it. So I'd really encourage people to look at the pressure points on their farm to know to the best time at which they should be sampling. And I guess it's it's slightly different in terms of forage analysis whether we're talking about um, grass or whether we're talking about silage. Because once silage is in the pit, its mineral status doesn't really change, its vitamin status does, that's a slight different side note, but the mineral status won't change, so we can measure it whenever it's appropriate, whenever we're doing our other silage analysis, and then we know what we're dealing with in terms of winter feeding. For grass, it does fluctuate, so we might measure it at the start of the year and think, yes, it's OK, or no, it's not quite high enough or whichever camp we're sat in. And then it changes. So grass are a little bit more challenging than silage. In terms
0: of the questions that were asked during your webinars, did you see key themes
3: yeah so in in terms of the questions asked I think people's real interest is one that question we've just covered on when should I target when should I be analyzing but also I think a lot of people's questions are around what supplement they should be using you know it's a really there's so much on the market in the UK it's a really big market and I always say to people don't forget that it's an unregulated market And so in terms of boluses, in terms of drenches, you don't have to absolutely prove that they will work to put them on the market. So a lot of people's questions are around what supplement they should be using. Um, And I would always encourage people to, to challenge the manufacturers and say, send me the data that shows your supplement works before they use it and then use it at the appropriate point. In that production cycle. So, like I've just said, making sure we're targeting those specific points. I think that's what a lot of questions were around. And I think the other question, which is something quite unusual for this time of year, certainly going into November, was around grass staggers. So, we're seeing grass staggers really late this year. So, grass staggers is where we get a low magnesium blood concentration. Does cause death in cattle and sheep if you don't intervene. We normally see it in the spring, but we're seeing, I'm certainly seeing, not just in Scotland, but across the country, many more cases than we would normally see at that time of year. So, a few questions around that and how we go about preventing staggers, which would be to supplement with magnesium and think about the way in which you're going to do that to make sure each individual animal receives enough magnesium
0: is there anywhere that um farmers can go to get some more information unbiased
3: information yeah advice around uh minerals is actually really tricky so i've actually just um started a Nuffield scholarship to look at that exact topic so mineral advice and ruminants are we getting it right because i do believe there's a lot of advice that goes out into the industry that is incorrect and it's really difficult then if you're a farmer to navigate between somebody that's genuinely really trying to help of which there are many people but then somebody that's also trying to sell you a product that simply just doesn't work or doesn't have the evidence to say that it does work so it's it's really hard, like I say, I would challenge particularly boluses and drenches the supplier to give you the data that so it shows you that the um, supplement does work. I know a lot of farmers who run their own almost like mini scale uh, trial. So I was at a farm meeting the other night and a guy was telling me, I've bolus half my sheep and left half on because I want to see if it makes any difference. And for him, he said that the results had his lambs had that his live weight gain was better in those lambs that had been bowlers, so that kind of makes him content that that's a worthwhile investment because he's seen that change in performance but aside from that I'd be asking people for the data not just taking their word from it speaking to independent advisors so the consultants at sac or any um, independent nutrition consultants that sort of thing and yeah just yeah navigating your way through what is yeah quite a challenging market so one thing that i'd like to see is people thinking about minerals as part of their whole strategy on farm so in the dairy sector we see a lot of over supplementation in the beef sheep sector we see a lot of under supplementation so can you review what minerals are going on to your farm into your animals and see whether you could be more strategic about your mineral supply in order to boost animal performance.
0: I think that sounds like a very sensible ask and hopefully something that after watching your webinars, our listeners feel really equipped to take on.
3: I hope so let's hope so hopefully even if it generates some some questions in people's minds I think rather than just going I've always supplemented like this thinking about the why why are you doing that is it still relevant is it still the best thing for the animals on your farm
0: thank you so much for joining us today on the rural roundup Annie no problem thanks for listening to this episode of the rural roundup We'll see you back here on the 22nd of November for our next episode. Remember to click subscribe so you don't miss out.
1: The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.